Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.58 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 14th of July, 2021. This is episode 455 of Bitcoin, and I didn't think there was anybody left in China to shut down. Let's just jump right into this shit. Uh, Probably the the dip explained. China China shuts down crypto mining in Anhui province from Helen Parts at a Cointelegraph. The Chinese government continues cracking down on the cryptocurrency mining industry by suspending crypto mining operations in yet another province. Authorities in Anhui, a small province in eastern China, have announced a set of measures to tackle growing electricity demand and an associated power supply shortage in the next three years, local news agency Hefei Online reported on Wednesday. As part of Anhui's efforts to curb energy consumption, the province plans to shut down crypto mining projects and scrutinize new initiatives that require large amounts of energy consumption. Local authorities also plan to adopt new practices for building data centers as well as promote the reform of electricity prices in order to optimize energy usage in the province. The Anhui province of China is known for once being one of China's poorest provinces, having only been removed from the country's official list of impoverished areas in 2020. It's the eighth largest province in the country by population. The province's power grid reportedly comprises mostly coal-based power plants, in addition to several hydropower facilities as well as wind and solar-based plants. Some reports suggest that the latest regulatory crackdown in Anhui is part of a broader countrywide initiative to shut down all crypto mining operations across China. Chinese crypto journalist Colin Wu reported Wednesday that China's state grid corporation has issued a notice to all parts of the country requesting the closure of virtual currency mining, quote, at present. Some provinces with insufficient power in China, such as Henan and Anhui, have also begun to implement this. The news comes amid a major regulatory crackdown on crypto mining in China, following a series of similar bans in other Chinese provinces, including Yunnan and Sichuan, one of the country's largest hydropower-based mining hubs. Authorities in Xinjiang, Inner Mongolia, and Qinghai also ordered mining operations to shutter in recent months. So we've got a dip, and I I guess I guess people are still thinking that China is like a major, you know, a major hub of mining for for Bitcoin, and that this is no longer this wasn't the case as of last month, man. It 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 was over. It was already over. They're just at this point, this is just a mop-up operation, and yet the markets react with yet another dip. So now on the back of that news, we've got this one. It's not just Anhui. Three more Chinese provinces shutter crypto mines as clampdown continues. Now guys, don't get all sad and shit. All right, this was going to happen. It was just, it was inevitable. It was going to happen. And like I said, most of the Chinese mining facilities have already been shuttered, and these guys are, are looking towards greener pastures. This is just a mop-up operation, so, but you got to know about it. <clears throat> Along with Anhui, we have Henan and Gansu provinces being the latest to crack down on crypto mines and curtail energy usage. That's what they say, but it's all bullshit. They just want their digital currency to own everybody. Three Chinese provinces have joined a growing list of jurisdictions ordering a halt to crypto mining amid a nationwide crackdown on the industry. Hefei Online, a Chinese state-owned website, uh, said that the province will clean up and shut down crypto mines in Anhui to avoid imminent power shortages. But also on Wednesday, Chinese journalist Colin Wu reported that the provincial departments of China's state grid corporation in Henan and Gansu 
will also shutter local mining industries in those provinces. The two provincial state grid departments are implementing a late June decision from the state-owned enterprise headquarters, Wu told Coindesk on Wednesday. The notice by state grid's headquarters calls on provinces to clean up and crack down on crypto mines that are using up electricity from the national grid. More provinces are expected to follow, Wu wrote. Gansu provinces in western China, bordering Xinjiang, Qihai, Sichuan, and Inner Mongolia, it accounts for 2% of the country's hash rate between September 2019 and April 2020, according to the Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index. The National Energy Administration has warned that Anhui's electrical demands will exceed its supply starting in 2022. Henan and Anhui are landlocked provinces in eastern China. At a May meeting of China's state council, ministers discussed a crackdown on crypto mines. Provinces, prefectures, and cities have moved against the industry since Qinghai, Xinjiang, Inner Mongolia, and Sichuan announced that they are either cleaning up or shutting down mining. The concern is partly environmental, which is bullshit, and partly financial, which is completely 100% true. China is gearing up to achieve ambitious carbon neutrality goals set in its 14th five-year plan in March, while financial regulators are concerned about crypto's impact on financial stability. So there you go. <clears throat> now, in response, what's going on? Well, what are Chinese miners doing about it? Well, BIT raises $50 million to help Bitcoin mining expansion out of China. Namcios has it for Bitcoin Magazine. Bit Mining, a Bitcoin mining company and owner of the BTC.com mining pool, has announced that it has reached securities purchase agreements with select investors to raise $50 million in a private placement. Under the terms of the placement, which will not involve a public offering and is expected to close around July 16, 2021, Bit Mining will issue 100 million Class A ordinary shares at a purchase price of $5 per 10 shares. So I guess that's 50 cents a share, something, something like that. Already included in the price is one warrant per share, which investors can use to purchase additional shares later on. The warrants will have a term of three years and will be exercisable six months following their issuance date at $6.81 per 10 shares. Furthermore, Upon the satisfaction of certain undisclosed conditions, an investor would be able to convert 10 shares into one American Depository Share, or ADS, of the company. Bit Mining plans to use the proceeds of the private placement to expand its Bitcoin mining operations worldwide. After the recent Bitcoin crackdowns in China, the company has devised an overseas deployment strategy which dictates how it plans to move its operations to more welcoming countries. Bit started moving part of its mining rigs to Kazakhstan in June, having made some investments in Bitcoin data centers in Texas at a similar time. Besides aiding, <clears throat> sorry, besides aiding with Bit's overseas deployment strategy, the offering, whose sole placement agent is HC Wainwright and Company, will also allow the Bitcoin mining firm to acquire additional mining machines, build new data centers expand its infrastructure, and improve its working capital position. Consequently, BIT might further increase the hash rate capacity of its BTC.com mining pool, which currently accounts for over 11% of the Bitcoin network's total hash rate. So this is the response. Regulatory arbitrage. And we've talked about it before. So as any other pleb on Twitter, we've all talked about it before. <clears throat> this is what happens when you crack down on Bitcoin mining. It's, it, it's like yesterday I uh, read a story that had the quote from, uh, oh God, Bruce Lee, be like water. This is very much being like water. It, you know, the more they squeeze their grip, the more mud slips through their fingers. It's just, it's, it, it, it's not like some, it's not like China, I don't know, banned a, a certain building or something like that. And you can't move the building before they tear it down and you lose the capital investment, right? The mining rigs are just picking up and they're moving across the border. And this is going to continue probably for the rest of this year. And, I, it, and honestly, after these other three provinces have, have been shut down, is there anybody left? Is there, I mean, does anybody know of any Chinese miners that are actually still in operation? I thought they were all shut down. I mean, every single one of them. 
The only thing that I can imagine going on after this is the only mining going on in China would be, you know, at the household level, which personally I rather enjoy the I rather enjoy the thought of that. Uh, I'd like to see more of household mining going on across the world, but we have other fish to fry. Um, the China situation is not as bad. Bitcoin to reclaim 60K in 2021. It's an interview with OKX. Uh, George Georgiev is writing this for Crypto Potato. Uh, let's see, established in 2017, OKX is one of the leading cryptocurrency exchanges in the world by means of trading volume and is also a big player in China. We took the opportunity to discuss firsthand what's currently going on in the market from both a retail and institutional perspective. And here's what's actually happening in China. It's an, basically, it's an interview breakdown with uh, the guy from OKX. So after Bitcoin lost around 50% from its all-time high at almost 65K recorded in mid-April, one of the most pressing questions that people have is whether or not Bitcoin is still in a bull market. Quote, I think the correction is already kind of finished, or at least close to being finished. Whoever needs to sell or deleverage. The last rally was mostly driven by leverage trading. We could see insane numbers in all kinds of trading metrics showing that everyone was adding a lot of leverage. It makes sense. That's how bull markets come to live, end quote. Lai thinks that a lot of the downturn can be attributed to deleveraging, and that's why we saw the really sharp crash. However, he also thinks that the correction is really quite done and almost close to finished. Despite this, he noted that there's still a lot of uncertainty in the crypto market, mostly originating from the ongoing regulatory clampdown. Yet he outlined that things are starting to calm down and prices don't react as much to negative news. He concluded that we're definitely in a bull run. As for price targets, Lai believes that we will see Bitcoin's price recovering to 60K this year, but it will take longer, a longer time to reach higher goals like 100K. He thinks that 100K is possible in one or two years after this one. China is arguably one of the most heavily discussed topics within the cryptocurrency community. The country started clamping down yet again on Bitcoin a couple of months back, while a lot of it seemed like recycled FUD. There are some new developments that have to be considered. The, the country did clamp down on Bitcoin mining, and as a result, a lot of the operations, if not all, have started to relocate. As Crypto Potato reported, over three tons of Bitcoin mining rigs will supposedly relocate from Guangzhou to Maryland. The director of financial markets at OKX said that the country is specifically going after Bitcoin mining, but owning Bitcoin is completely legal and that the cryptocurrency can be owned like a digital property. He reaffirmed, however, that there are plenty of warnings against the dangers of cryptocurrency trading, but most of it is for people to be aware they don't prohibit it. Quote, for those in China who would like to trade, it's still okay, but you have to be aware of the risks, end quote. Another interesting thing that we touched on was the difference in the market. With over 1,600 employees globally, OKX operates in a variety of jurisdictions, so we were curious to know how the European market, for instance, is different from the Chinese market. So speaking on the matter, Lai said, quote, the European or the Western-based customers are more professionally oriented. They already have a lot of crypto knowledge and they are very professional already. They understand a lot about trading compared to the Asia Pacific Economic Corporation or cooperation customers. So, so here we go. The, the question becomes now, and that's the end of the article, but the question becomes, are we still in a bear market or bull market? Are we in a bear market? Are we just consolidating? You know, like how does a bull run up to 64K with a, you know, with a 50% drop and then this ranging between 30 and $35,000 for what seems like an eternity, but it's, it's actually not. It's just that time moves differently in, in Bitcoin than anything else. They're sort of like dog years, I guess. But, um, you know, that's, that's actually my question is that I don't really know where we're at because I'm not a trader. So I don't, I'm not able to see patterns of, you know, bull runs up, a crash down, then consolidation. I look at that as like kind of bearish, but I'm still a Bitcoin bull. I mean, I'm always, I'm always going to be a Bitcoin bull. It's just that 
this is just it's just such a weird time and we've got elon saying stupid shit again and uh, you know it's it's all messed up oh by the way this show may very well be uh shorter than an hour so just uh just a, a fair warning there nuclear powered ohio bitcoin mine to be 100 percent carbon free to kiss esg ass this is out of bitcoin magazine it's written by namcios Independent power producer Energy Harbor has announced that it will provide clean nuclear energy to infrastructure as a service firm, Standard Power's new Bitcoin mining facility in Ohio through a five-year partnership. Energy Harbor plans to begin powering the mining farm in December of 2021. We are grateful that Standard Power has granted us the opportunity to serve them, said John Judge, Energy Harbor president and CEO in the announcement. Quote, we are happy to partner with customers who are focused on minimizing their impact on the environment while driving a new clean energy future in our local Ohio economy, end quote. The collaboration will allow Standard Power, a hosting provider for Bitcoin miners and other data processing companies, to turn an abandoned paper mill in Coshocton, Ohio, into a Bitcoin mining facility. In addition, the company said it would be providing reliability and stability to the transmission grid by shutting down operations in periods of energy crises. Quote, we selected Ohio because of its low electricity costs and availability of carbon-free sources of energy, said Standard Power CEO Maxim Serizin in the announcement. Quote, by partnering with Energy Harbor, we have proactively structured our hosting capabilities to ensure that 100% of the power associated with this facility is carbon-free. Bitcoin's energy consumption has become a hot topic lately with the common misconception that it is bad for the planet, consequently spurring a wave of green partnerships like this in the past few months. But although the arrangement's carbon-free nature is indeed important, it is likely second to its clear free market demonstrations. BTC miners, similar or similarly to most types of businesses, seek to increase their profit margins and operational efficiency by naturally and freely navigating toward the cheapest energy sources available Miners can ensure lower operating costs, increased longevity, and thus greater security of the Bitcoin network. Therefore, economic incentives are the gears that have the power to influence an entire industry's energy consumption practices, including, though not exclusively, uh, the Bitcoin mining industry. However, Bitcoin is uniquely positioned to go beyond just utilizing clean energy and help other sectors increase their operating profits. Moreover, Bitcoin can also help energy producers leverage stranded energy and capture pollutant waste to power BTC mining. So, Ohio getting into the action. Nice. This is this is good. I mean, this is good news insofar that as, as long as mining has a home somewhere, you know, at least for a little while, this is good. But I guarantee you, if you're not, if you're a mining operation and you're you're moving, let's say, or even if you're just starting up and you're in the United States or somewhere that's not China, you better have a disaster relief plan. You better have one. Because at any given time, you know, shit can change and Ohio decides that they want to be more like China. So having a place to already go if you can, would probably be fairly advisable, just just saying there. Now, Visa in the news. Visa to approve Bitcoin spending card for Australian startup crypto spend. Helen Parts has this one for Cointelegraph. Global payments giant Visa is moving forward with its commitment to digital currency adoption by approving the issuance of a new Bitcoin debit card in Australia. Sydney-based crypto spending app CryptoSpend announced on Wednesday that Visa has approved the issuance of a physical debit card that will allow Australians to spend their Bitcoin at local merchants. CryptoSpend co-founder said in an interview with the Australian Financial Review that the new card will be issued by major local payments company Novati and is expected to hit the markets in September. Visa is expected to announce the approval later this week. According to the report, the upcoming crypto debit card will allow users to spend a set of major cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin and a handful of shit coins. <clears throat> the user's crypto holdings will be custodied by BitGo. <clears throat> <clears throat> crypto Spend co-founder Andrew Gretsch 
said that the card will give Australians a way to cash out their Bitcoin profits as opposed to selling the cryptocurrencies, stating, quote, Spending it directly is a more convenient way of selling it. If the market is green, someone could say it's time to spend some of my profits. On the other side of the fence, another person might say it's going to keep going up and I'll hold on to it. But we have seen more spending volume when the price is going up, end quote. According to the Financial Review, Visa has already approved the issuance of crypto spending cards in Australia for some global crypto exchanges like Binance, but they are not yet available in the country. Crypto exchange Crypto.com also received approval to be a direct issuer of Visa debit cards in Australia and is preparing to launch the card soon. Visa did not immediately respond to requests for comment. Yeah, well, you know, hey. So, you know, how is Australia and their draconian, totalitarian, authoritarianism going to respond to this shit? You know, we're all, I think one of the things that Bitcoin does the, the most as a knock-on effect is really light up on the global map which countries are just pathetic pieces of shit, right? So, uh, and Australia is definitely one of them. So we'll see if that... We'll see if Australia lights up in, in the red as being a complete piece of shit when it comes to, to Bitcoin. So now <clears throat> on to on to the Elon Musk tweet. If you don't know what I'm talking about, he's responding to Blue Wallet, one of our literally one of our favorite wallets, right? He says, any money transmitter or other licenses needed to use this in the United States? Yeah, he's replying to, like I said, Blue Wallet, which is at Blue Wallet IO. And uh, Blue Wallet, <clears throat> which has a, a new logo, well, they've had the logo for a while, but I just, I actually kind of noticed it just the other day. Uh, Bitcoin Yanowski has drawn their, uh, their logo and they are proudly displaying it in their uh, Twitter profile. And it looks good. Good work, Bitcoin Yanowski. That was just awesome work. <clears throat> anyway, it says, Work in process. Let us introduce our new Lightning implementation powered by Lightning DevKit or the LDK, a flexible Lightning implementation written in Rust. In this demo, we're going to look into opening a channel from an offline and air gap device with PSBT or partially signed Bitcoin transaction. And that's what apparently triggered Elon Musk to talk about being a money transmitter. And it's people like Elon Musk that are just <clears throat> he's either fully captured by the United States and Chinese governments, or he's just, he's just batshit crazy. I don't know, but we're going to run the numbers now. As usual, CNBC futures and commodities. Yeah. Sorry, CNBC.com, Futures and Commodities. Uh, energy futures are down again today. Uh, West Texas Intermediate is down one and a quarter percent to $74.33. Brent North Sea is down one and a third point to $75.46. So <clears throat> price is not seen since last week. Natural gas is up a third of a point to $3.70. Gasoline down 1.5% to $2.28 a gallon. Gold is up 0.38% to $1,816.90. Silver is up almost a half point to $26.25. Platinum is up almost a full point. Copper is down, damn, three quarters of a point. Palladium is down a 0.25%. Uh, Wheat is up 1.3%, but all the rest of the futures are just mixed for agriculture. Dow futures are, okay, yeah, we're going to be moving sideways today. Uh, Dow futures is down 0.02%. S&P futures are up 0.07%. NASDAQ futures up a third of a point, being the winner of the, of the board. And S&P mini is up 0.12%. All of the uh, prices on 30, 10, 5, and 2-year bonds got pushed up. 
30-year bond futures got pushed up by almost a quarter of a point and its price is 161.813. So real money, which is taking a bath today, $32,471, 239,000 transactions were cast in the last 24 hours. That's about 10,000 transactions on average per hour with the uh, 375,000 BTC being sent in that particular period, that's 15,645 BTC being sent on average every hour with an average transaction value of one and a half BTC and the median transaction value at 0.023 BTC or 750 bucks. Block times are damn near right back to normal, 10 minutes and four seconds. 0.23 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, 33.3 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours with a difficulty, uh, uh, sorry, difficulty, with a hash rate adjustment upwards of 8.15%. We are back to 97.24 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge, which is 19.8 United States pennies, which is pretty much where it was yesterday. Still way too high of a price for that thing. Now, we only have 484 transactions, which is gonna fit into the next block. So the mempools are going to clear. Uh, we have a market capitalization down to $609 billion, which is a mere 5.13% of gold market cap. And now we can only get 17.8 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,755,985 and one quarter in circulation. 1,813 of those uh, are in the Lightning Network with a capacity value pegged at $58.9 million being run over damn near 12,500 nodes with even more channels opened up since yesterday, 55,024 of them in fact. And the percentage of Tor capacity has gone to 68.3% of the Lightning Network, which means that 1,239.14 BTC are in the Tor side of the Lightning Network being run over 7,000 116 nodes that we can see, and that's gonna do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We're gonna start with the Paraguay news. Apparently today is the day that they're gonna unveil the bill or something close to that, but apparently a leaked draft is causing some concern here. Uh, Paraguay proposed Bitcoin law includes crypto registration, which is, you know, that's not good either. Yeah, one of these days somebody might actually do this right, but let's find out more from Sebastian Sinclair out of Coindesk. A new Bitcoin law expected to be introduced into Paraguay's legislature tomorrow, and this in fact is happening today. This, this was from July the 13th, which was yesterday. Anyway, it will require cryptos to be registered with the country's undersecretariat of tax, <clears throat> state taxation, decrypt reported Tuesday, citing a draft of the bill it said it obtained, quote, the purpose of the draft law is to establish legal cer certainty, financial and fiscal in the businesses derived from the production and commercialization of virtual assets, a rough translation of the document reads, Decrypt reported that the bill was a leaked draft without saying how it obtained it. The bill <laughs> would also regulate crypto mining as well as trading through exchanges and peer-to-peer -peer marketplaces where participants will be required to register as obligated subjects. According to Decrypt's reporting, obligated subjects just sounds futile, dude. It's a stark contrast to neighboring Latin American country El Salvador, which last month approved its own version of a Bitcoin law designed to make the crypto legal tender alongside the United States dollar. It is important that companies can register these products within their accounting so that they can have their real valuation. Additionally, it helps to optimize the tax collection of this industry, finally giving traceability of what is produced in the country, facilitating its tracking by supervisory authorities, the document says. Specifically, the rationale of the bill states that crypto mining should be seen as an industrial activity under the purview of the Ministry of Industry and Commerce because of its use of capital, labor, machinery, and construction of civil infrastructure. Congressman Carlos 
Rejala, who plans to present the bill, told Coindesk last month that the law would allow crypto mining or exchange companies to finance their Paraguayan operations with digital assets, as well as remit dividends abroad and capitalize their crypto profits in domestic banks. So not the best news in the world coming out of Paraguay. I mean, even though that this is a, quote, rough translation of a leaked draft bill, keep that in mind, you know, we still have this obligated subjects language and registration, okay? So in the obligated subjects, if that actually ends up being like in the actual bill language and not a rough translation that's presented later today in legislature at Paraguay, shit, man, that's not, it's not that it's bearish. It's just that, again, Bitcoin is going to light up those countries in the world that are truly despotic. It's going to light them up like a Christmas tree bulb, man. It's going to be inescapable to like look at a map and go, okay, here's where all the countries that are having, you know, problems with Bitcoin and you, and it's just going to light up and you're going to see exactly who you don't want to do business with, where you don't want to go, where you don't want to be caught with your pants down and where you don't want to be keeping your money. Right? So there you go. Now this is a longer piece. Andrew Bailey and Bradley Rettler collaborated on this one, Bitcoin, an orange new deal from Bitcoin magazine. You know the New Deal, a massive and unprecedented effort in the United States federal government undertook in the 1930s to invest in infrastructure, build hope, and turn the course of a nation towards prosperity and justice. You've likely heard of the Green New Deal too, all that infrastructure business, but with a sustainable twist. Well, we propose an orange New Deal. Bitcoin is hope, and it can be an engine of prosperity and justice, but to do that work, it needs infrastructure, not roads or power lines, but lightning network nodes and channels, education, wallets, and sustainable mining. The time to build Bitcoin infrastructure is now, but who is to build? Recent events in El Salvador suggest a surprising answer. Governments. Many Bitcoiners are libertarians or even anarcho-capitalists. These tend to think that governments should be small, weak, or do not exist at all. They don't care for the New Deal. And if you're of that mind, you likely won't agree with what we suggest here and should instead pass this essay on to your big government friends. But if you take a more capacious view about the proper role of the state, if your ambitions are somewhat more pragmatic than those of the libertarian dreamers, and if you like, rather like the New Deal or the Green New Deal, we hope to uncover a case for an intriguing thesis. National and local governments should invest in Bitcoin infrastructure. The ideal is simple. Bitcoin, like clean water, good roads, or a solid power grid, is for anyone. And for it to truly make good on this inclusive promise, it needs infrastructure. Governments can help accelerate construction of that infrastructure and so create new opportunities for prosperity and financial inclusion. Our argument has two steps. Government should invest in public goods, and Bitcoin is one such public good. Focus on the idea of a public good, which has three parts, good, non-rivalrous, and non-excludable. Public goods are good. Using them brings some benefit. Your use of non-rivalrous goods don't reduce its usefulness to someone else. You can enjoy the wide violin-like vibrato as heard in Yingi Malmsteen's concert, for example, without diminishing the enjoyment of the metalhead next to you. A a good is non-excludable to the extent that it is very costly to prevent non-paying customers from accessing it. A flourishing mangrove forest has all sorts of benefits for nearby ecosystems, and it'd be hard to prevent those benefits from accruing, for example, to local fisheries. Why should governments invest in public goods? Many point here to coordination problems. Clean air, for example, is good for everyone, and it benefits spillover even to those who didn't pay for that clean air. But who will pay for it? That's what's needed here is coordination. We all know this thing will benefit everyone, but the marginal benefits to individuals may be too small to motivate them to act on their own, or perhaps they'd act, but not as much as one might like. The coercive might of the state can coordinate for optimal behavior, goes one standard argument, so governments invest in clean air. 
So also for illiterate citizenry or healthy networks of roads and power lines, governments are supposed to wield their power to coordinate toward good that would otherwise go underdeveloped. It's useful to distinguish Bitcoin, the network, from Bitcoin, its native asset. One is with capital B and then one's with lowercase b. We do not claim that Bitcoin is a public good. It isn't, and they're using the little b. When you have some Bitcoin, you diminish the use others might have from that quantity of Bitcoin. Michael Saylor, for example. And you can easily keep others from capturing those benefits themselves. Just keep your private keys private. Bitcoin, the network, by contrast, is a public good. The Bitcoin network is good. Bitcoin in the network is an open censorship, a resistant inflation resistant monetary network for all of humanity that cannot be controlled by any despot or corporate machine. It hosts, furthermore, a digital bearer asset that is readily audible by anyone with an internet connection and that offers remarkable settlement assurances. Detractors will disagree, of course, that is their business model, but we think that Bitcoin is net good for humanity. Bitcoin is non-rivalrous. <clears throat> Our accessing the network, accepting payment in Bitcoin, running a node and so on, doesn't diminish your access. Indeed, Bitcoin is anti-rivalrous. As with other network goods, its value increases the more people access it. The more people that speak Spanish, the more valuable it is to know that language yourself. As more people offer or accept Bitcoin payments, its network grows in usefulness too. There's a wrinkle here. Block space is rivalrous and excludable. Not everyone can squeeze their transactions on chain and those who pay higher fees get priority. Luckily though, this wrinkle is ironed out by Bitcoin's layer two manifestations like the Lightning Network that make it possible to transact with Bitcoin with minimal use of precious block space. As for non-excludability, <clears throat> it is here that Bitcoin shines most of all. It is very cheap to access the network, a smartphone will do, and it's very expensive for anyone to stop you from doing so. States have tried, mostly without success. The software that keeps the machine running is free and open source. Anyone can take a look under its hood, make modifications or upgrades and build new applications atop the network's fundamental layer. What makes this all possible is, in a word, infrastructure. Public lightning network nodes, a healthy swarm of full Bitcoin nodes validating new blocks, <clears throat> miners that gather transactions into blocks and secure the network, educators who show us how to navigate the space safely, hardware wallet manufacturers who enable secure transaction signing, and Bitcoin core developers who maintain the network's main open source software. The most obvious way to promote the public good, that is the Bitcoin network, is to invest in infrastructure along these lines. We could trust private actors to invest, but we might also want government to contribute too to accelerate access to Bitcoin, to provide healthy competition, and to coordinate towards optimal outcomes. With these two steps in place, the conclusion follows. Governments should invest in Bitcoin infrastructure. Let's make that proposal more concrete. What could governments actually do here? We know the New Deal, public works, roads, hospitals, airports, dams, and sweeping regulatory changes, what could an orange new deal look like? A mighty host of building opportunities here await funding. For example, internet access, open Wi-Fi networks, satellite access for remote regions, subsidized mobile data plans for those that need them, lightning network nodes, <coughs> lots of inbound and outbound liquidity, and with the steady network presence of low routing fees, developer support, sponsor developers or projects with grants and so promote innovation and better user experience across wallets, nodes, mining pools, and protocols built atop Bitcoin's main layer. Education, training and self-custody, spending and receiving Bitcoin, paying employees in Bitcoin. Translation, bringing educational materials into every major language. Accessibility, adapting Bitcoin educational materials, wallets, and hardware for use by members of the deaf or blind communities. Community wallets. These occupy the middle ground between full self-custody and fully centralized custody. Think here of the Bitcoin beach ecosystem. Sustainable mining. New dams, wind farms, solar farms, and geothermal mining operations to keep the network secure in, in a, an environmentally friendly way. Fair and consistent tax and accounting rules. National and local regulators have opportunities to coordinate here and thus save Bitcoin users or citizens from a host of headaches and pitfalls. 
direct Bitcoin payments. Cash payments in a depreciating sovereign currency work well when immediate consumption is the goal, but for redistribution with a longer time horizon in mind, government should give away the ultimatum, or sorry, the ultimate anti-inflation asset, which is Bitcoin. This needn't involve new taxation or debt. Many governments already have significant Bitcoin holdings seized from criminals. Every payment of this kind would strengthen Bitcoin's already formidable network effects and stimulate further interest in the network. Some of these tasks are more apt for national or state and provincial governments. Others work better at the municipal level. Each will contribute to the Bitcoin network and its liberating use, not just for citizens, but for people across the globe. The New Deal was not without controversy. An Orange New Deal would inevitably find detractors as well. The objections would come from two sides, Bitcoin skeptics and Bitcoin advocates. Bitcoin skeptics claim that Bitcoin struggles to scale, is available mostly for the educated and wealthy, or causes environmental harm, but note, the investments described above would cut against each one of these objections. Lightning network infrastructure helps Bitcoin scale. Education and development expand access to the network, and investments in sustainable mining operations drive hydrocarbon burning miners out of business. The investments we advocate, in short, don't just make Bitcoin's benefits more widely available, they also make Bitcoin better on balance. The argument of this essay supports measures that would help alleviate the very problems the skeptics raise. Some of Bitcoin's most ardent advocates <clears throat> will object that state sponsorship of Bitcoin infrastructure isn't very cypherpunk. If states get involved, the story goes, they'll mess up the network by attempting to censor transactions or extract rent. We reply, the Bitcoin network is already large and robust, and the software on which it runs is free and open source. Any extra gadgets that connect to the network empower their users to access something that is itself beyond the control of any state or corporate despot. Note, too, that governments already invest in their own proprietary monetary networks and routinely censor transactions. Direction in any of those resources towards Bitcoin is a net positive for the world. It's better to achieve marginal gains in the real world than to pursue ideological purity. <clears throat> Fans of nascent central bank digital currency schemes will ask why governments shouldn't invest in their development instead. Well, there's a few reasons. First, <clears throat> they inherit many of the problems of fiat currencies because their supply can be capriciously inflated, which makes them a poor store of value, and they lack the privacy and censorship resistance of Bitcoin. Second, this will take some time. Whereas Bitcoin already exists, governments could invest in Bitcoin infrastructure now, even as they plan for CBDCs. Finally, Bitcoin is for everyone. To build Bitcoin is to grow a network that benefits the whole world. It is to invest in humanity rather than just in the citizenry of one nation with access to some local monetary regime. <clears throat> Die-hard nationalists who wish to benefit just a select group of people, their compatriots, won't see much sense in this, but others will see the wisdom of benefiting all, we think, <laughs> and Bitcoin does that. We said up top that this wasn't an article for libertarians. But some will still be reading, and they will object that governments are less efficient than other agents when it comes to the hard work of building. We reply, perhaps so. We encourage those of this mind to start investing, whether for charity or for profit, in Bitcoin developers, mining operations, educators, and so on. Prove, now please, that voluntary efforts are superior to state-sponsored ones. El Salvador is leading the way. It is time for other nations to follow and for each to launch their own Orange New Deal. So let's get building. Yeah, I know you're screaming at me, probably for good reason for reading this. But one of the things that this illustrates is that even very clearly left-minded individuals there are plenty of them that are just as infatuated with Bitcoin as the most ardent conservative, the most ardent libertarian, the most ardent, you know, anarcho-crypto, you know, whatever. Bitcoin gathers everybody together. It's, a, it's another knock-on effect of Bitcoin. Not only will it light up all the authoritarian countries in the world so that you can see where not to go, but it's actually a unifying force between very ideologically opposed individuals and Bitcoin ends up being their centerpiece and we're all kind of 
gathered around it, looking at it, and you'll notice that the person to your right may very well be extraordinarily liberal, and that person to your left may be a gun-toting redneck. I don't know. All I do know is that we're all looking at this one object, which means that we're, it's bringing us together. And we got to look at that in, a po in the positive light that it should be looked at in, instead of just saying, oh man, I can't believe you read a libertarian rag. I don't agree with half this shit. I don't think governments have any business at all doing anything like this. However, am I going to be able to stop them? No. Are they going to do it? I don't know, and neither do you, or, and neither do these guys. I think that it's possible that we'll see some of that, but Bitcoin in, this, in the exact same fashion as before will, if that country ends up being really ruthless, we're going to see it light up like a Christmas tree because Bitcoin is going to shine a light on all that shit. Let's move on to this one. I love it. Samuel Haig has this one from Cointelegraph. Concern as Uniswap backed the DeFi education fund dumps $10 million worth of UNI token. Ah, you'll love it. The controversial Uniswap funded DeFi education fund has liquidated half of its donated funding into stable coins, attracting condemnation from many of the crypto community. On June the 12th, the fund tweeted that it was selling 500,000 uni to Genesis Trading for 10.2 million USDC in an over-the-counter trade, despite the Uniswap proposal for the fund indicating that it would liquidate the 1 million uni over four to five years. In May, the student organization Harvard Law Blockchain and uh, Fintech Initiative launched a governance proposal advocating for the creation of the fund and allocation of 1 million uni worth roughly $18 million at current prices to the entity to support educational initiatives and policy lobbying for the decentralized finance sector. At the start of this month, the proposal was passed and the uni tokens were transferred to the fund. The incident has reignited concerns regarding the centralization of Uniswap's government process or governance process and called into question the transparency and motives of the fund. Jesus, you think? Blockchain sleuths were able to identify that Larry Sukernik, one of the multi-signers behind the education fund, had sold 2,612 uni just few hours prior to the OTC deal. On Twitter, Sukernik defended the trade, stating the uni he holds was from a grant he'd received a few weeks earlier. Oh, bullshit, dude. Speaking to Cointelegraph, DeFi watch founder Chris Bleck emphasized that Harvard Law had made it clear the intent was to gradually sell the 1 million uni over four to five years and not dump large amounts at once. Quote, the fund then just sold half of the 1 million uni for USDC without explanation. They still haven't explained why, despite hundreds of people asking them today why, he added. On July the 13th, Bleck posted a governance thread demanding transparency regarding the fund, expressing concerns regarding the voting processes surrounding the proposal, the creation of the fund, and the possible role of Uniswap investor Andreessen Horowitz in influencing the events. Quote, the DeFi Education Fund Committee members, the Uniswap core team, and its investors have refused to answer any specific questions posed to them about the fund's origins, who came up with the idea, how future policy will be derived in more, Bleck wrote, noting that a letter he sent to Andreessen Horowitz has been willfully ignored. Quote, after the vote finished and the fund was created, I sent a new set of questions on June the 29th to A16Z, that's Andreessen Horowitz, as it appeared that the vote only won due to governance delegates using voting power given to them by Andreessen Horowitz. These questions were also willfully ignored, end quote. Bleck also called for Suckernick to stand down from the fund's committee, telling Cointelegraph, even if it was unintentional, the appearance of a member of this committee selling uni tokens from his own account <clears throat> just hours before a triggering massive 500,000 uni sale is exactly the type of behavior that would trigger a regulator. Quote, it would send the right message if Suckernick resigned from the committee and allowed someone else to take his place. Rug pull. Rug pull. Dude, these people are just scum of the earth. And Andreessen Horowitz, also, by the way, <clears throat> scum of the earth. What do we got next? Oh, Grayscale. Grayscale Bitcoin Trust adds BNY Mellon as a service provider, eyeing an ETF approval. Nomcios has it for Bitcoin Magazine. 
Asset manager Grayscale announced today that it has selected BNY Mellon as the asset servicing provider for its flagship project or product, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Mellon will provide GBTC with fund accounting and administration starting October the 1st, 2021, and facilitate the trust's future intention to become an exchange-traded fund. Quote, engaging BNY Mellon is an important milestone as part of our commitment to converting Grayscale Bitcoin Trust into an ETF. Uh, Michael Shaunenschein, the CEO of Grayscale, per the announcement says, BNY Mellon has a long-standing reputation as a trusted provider and has established one of the first teams dedicated to servicing the growing digital currency asset class. We are pleased that BNY Mellon will join a group of Grayscale's best-in-class service providers, helping us deliver seamless industry lending investment experience, end quote. By bringing BNY Mellon in-house, Grayscale is planning for the future as it expects regulatory approval to turn GBTC into an ETF soon, TM. The intention, which the company announced in April, marks the fourth and last step of the trust life cycle. If Grayscale's plans are realized, BNY Mellon is expected to leverage its proprietary ETF center to provide transfer agency and ETF services for GBTC, including technology allegedly designed to support such an offering. However, a successful conversion depends on the approval of the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. So there you go, man. They're bringing BNY Mellon in-house. So maybe they know something. Uh, maybe, maybe you know, Silver actually has gotten some some feedback from SEC as to whether or not he's got a you know a hope in hell for an ETF conversion of BT, uh, GBTC. I mean, why else would you do it? I mean, that's I mean, what like they let's say they do all this and the ETF just never happens. It seems like an ex extraordinary waste of time. So maybe we'll actually get a a uh, you know an ETF this year who knows man uh, who knows all right guys that's going to do it for the morning roundup all right here at the end we've got dad says jokes i recently took a poll and found that 100% of the people in the tent were angry when it collapsed All right, this is me signing off, reminding you that you can support the show if you would like by listening to it through Sphinx Chat or the Breeze Wallet, B-R-E-E-Z, Breeze. And you can stream me Satoshis while you listen to the dulcet tones. Uh, with that said, it is hump day, so we're halfway in, you know, halfway through the week. Looking forward to Friday. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.